0: call when uh, you asked me when I was 8, 9, 10 years old where I wanted to be, if I could be anywhere, it was at my grandparents' house because it was a big farm and I was a lot, I grew up in a town that was similar to Covington, a little bit bigger Definitely more restaurants. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> and it was a it was a paradise for a kid. There were barns and tractors and fields and trees and uh, there were my cousins were there and uh, you know it was just. It, I think I've even told y'all before. I think one time in class in elementary school we had to list out our where we where we wanted to go and a lot of kids went. You know we're talking about Rome and. Uh, A lot of people want to go to uh, New York City, and I just, I I want to go to Henderson, Kentucky. That's where I wanted to stay and live, and I remember, not too recently, I, I buried, or did the funeral for my grandma and granddad, and the land is still the Todd's land. Everything is still there. The barn is there. The fields are there. The trees are there. The stuff is there. It's still beautiful land in western Kentucky. Old gravel road, rusty gates, I mean, just stuff that y'all probably wouldn't think are beautiful. I think are beautiful. But it's not the same. And nothing has changed. And I'll tell you this, the only thing I think Kentucky fall in the Kentucky beats fall in Georgia. We don't beat you in much. I think we beat you there. Uh, I love fall in Kentucky just be gorgeous it is still a gorgeous place you could transport me there right now I'd probably probably want to have a bonfire or something but grandma and granddad aren't there and I don't really have any desire to be there Um, it's worth a lot but the grass and the things aren't what made it what it was it was the people that were there Grandma was there. Her her waking up every morning and cooking bacon and eggs. That was my grandma. Granddad being old scruffy granddad who would, you know, he wasn't in the mood in the morning. Don't touch your granddad. Don't take him off. And then he would, you know, <laughs> give you a bear hug and he want to play with you. And we would go do things. And I remember watching my first college football game with granddad in that in that recliner that he seemingly never left. Um, I think that's the way heaven is like. It doesn't matter what you put in heaven. If Christ isn't there, I really don't want to be there. It's got nothing for me. It doesn't matter how much is there. Christ is the point. He's the one who makes everything in heaven what it is. And if He's not there, then where is He? Because I want to be there. I think the beauty is that grandma and granddad are now with the person who gives life to all the things that they enjoy and when we sing to Jesus, when we sing to Him, we're singing about His riches and the value and the treasure. And the point is that He is the treasure. We're not worshiping for the treasure He gives us. He is the, the, the apple of our eye. And we live on this earth, and what people designate us as Christians, and we live as Christians on this earth, being distinguished by what we love, and more more importantly, who we love. It's who our treasure is. Christians are not necessarily distinguished by what they have in life. There are wealthy Christians, there are poor Christians, but the Christian is defined and marked out by his obedience and by his faith because the Christian, differently than anyone else on earth, the Christian's treasure is a person, not a thing. And I was... Brought to that when I was reading Genesis chapter 17, you can turn there, uh, as we'll be reading from it, this week, because Abraham is given a lot. And in terms of like ancient Near Eastern value and worth, Abraham's a rich dude, going to be richer. But Abraham wants God most. And he wants to be known as a lover of God. I don't think you can believe in God without loving Him. I was at the Taste of Ackworth yesterday. One more small story. Has anybody ever been to Taste of Ackworth? anybody ever even been to Ackworth? <laughs> I went there because we've got friends, family. That's what I meant. Good, good family, better friends. <laughs> and uh, I'll pay for that one. Keep going. Um, <laughs> And, uh, man, there was no doubt we were in the South. There was no doubt, other than the great food. It was like Braves fans were out. Still, like, hurting, but still out. It's like, I'm a Braves fan. The UGA fans were there. Hurting, too. But they didn't care. They were like, I'm a UGA fan. So many, so much red. Not in City Hawks fans, but saw a lot of Falcons fans. Saw a lot of LSU fans. Saw some Florida fans. Saw one UK fan. Your cats. I mean, everybody was wearing something and supporting someone. I'm serious. If somebody wasn't, you're like, who's your team? And I just thought, I I don't know what it's like to live anywhere else other than the South. I don't know if it's like that anywhere else. But I know here, who's your team? And it got me thinking. If I considered myself a diehard fan, and I didn't own any apparel, had no merchandise, didn't really watch the games, and never even been to a game, what would you think about that fan? I mean, you're not a fan. I know some people are like, hey, hey, hey you wear your red. I don't wear any. I don't have any real, you know, UGA stuff. I texted this week. I texted uh, Franklin. I said, Franklin, do we have any other Georgia Tech fans in are? I was going to make a Georgia Tech reference, but I didn't. He's like, no, there's none. <laughs> but, I ha- but he's got his Georgia Tech stuff. And the same principle applies to the military. There has never been a soldier other than a spy who wears the apparel or the, the, the garb of another army. You represent who you're with. And we need to keep that in mind as we read Genesis chapter 17 because typically when you're a part of something, you identify with that thing. When you're truly a part of a team, when you're truly a part of an army, when you're truly a part of a group, people are going to know it because typically you want them to know who you are and who you're with. It's funny how we sometimes don't apply that to Christianity, though. Hey, you with you, you Christ? Oh, yeah, big time. Where, where do you go to church? Oh, we don't really go to church. Um, okay, that's, that's fine. I mean, uh, we read in the, in, in the Word right now. Oh, the Bible well, I read it a couple times, but how come that principle doesn't apply to the thing that's most important? And the point is not to bash people, who don't go to church. The point is we apply this principle to everything but sometimes we forget it with our Lord. Here's something to think about before we read this one. God is never just saving his people from something. he's saving them to something. God delivers us, and He designates us. Okay, In other words, God didn't simply rescue Abel or Abraham from a life of paganism and idolatry and darkness and unbelief. God delivered Abraham to righteousness, holiness, love, and a life of meaning. He wants to designate His people from the world in order for them to be a light to the world. Here's the Gospel before we start reading this morning. In Christ, God has saved us from condemnation, idolatry, slavery to sin, and spiritual darkness. And in Christ, God has saved us to justification, reconciliation, adoption, holiness, and love. The church is how God designates these glorious things from the world in order to be a light to the world. Which is why a church that looks, the, looks like the world cannot be a light. We've got to be different. So if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 17, when you found it, stand for the reading of God's Word. we read the first 14 verses. And the Holy Spirit through Moses says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight... Days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. An uncircumcised male, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in your flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray. Father, we want to long for you, and we want to long for light. Father, show us your glory and reveal your Son, Jesus, to us this morning through Genesis so that we may stand apart from the world, that we may be saints, holy ones who proclaim Jesus both with our lives and with our mouths. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. You, can you know, one thing I love. Adoption is there in Genesis 17. Did you notice how your his, his servants, the servants of a man's household could be circumcised? Abram is 99. Here, here's actually the summary. Here's what I'm going to say this morning. God sets his covenant people apart from the world by calling them to obedience and by commanding them to be circumcised, a sign of God's covenant faithfulness to the offspring of Abraham. Abraham, Abram, is 99 years old. He ain't no spring chicken. And yet God has not forgotten His covenant with Abram made many years ago. What seems like an eternity to Abram is probably a blink of an eye for the eternal God. But what we might be thinking here is, well, I thought that God had already made a covenant. Why is he making it again? Well, that's a good question. The difference between this passage and Genesis 15 is that God is, you can think of it as, God's ratifying his covenant. He's establishing his covenant. He's making it official. He's making it valid. Let's read the first two verses if we can. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you, me and you, and may multiply you, Greatly, So God isn't just saving Abram from something. He's saving him to something. He's saving him to righteousness, to blamelessness. God wants to set his people apart from the world. He wants them to act differently. He acts, He wants them to worship differently. God says three things right here. I am God Almighty, the Hebrew is El Shaddai, which is a, a loaded name, means a powerful one. Walk before me and be blameless. In other words, worship me, the living God. Obey me. And be without blame. The rest of the world, if you'll remember, has turned away from God. So God is trying already to distinguish His people from the rest of the world. God's motto, you can think of it like this, God's motto to His people is, Come as you are, and I will change who you are. It's important to remember that God wants to change us, not just accept us, and He changes us by first revealing Himself to us. It's important to remember that the first thing God does here is not to give them a command. It's a declaration. I am God Almighty. And God does the very same thing with the Gospel today. The very first thing God does in the Gospel is not to give us a command. It's to declare that Jesus is God and to believe in Him. Now here's a question that gets thrown out a lot with Genesis chapter 17. Is this a conditional covenant or is it an unconditional covenant? Sometimes it sounds like The covenant comes with conditions, and sometimes it sounds like God's just saying, I'm going to do this. Here's what Peter Gentry, somebody who's far smarter than I, says, the traditional language describing covenants as either unconditional or conditional is inadequate. God guarantees the faithfulness of both partners in the Abrahamic covenant, but still requires faithful obedience on the part of Abraham to bring the blessing to the nations promised in the covenant. The biblical narrative is about God seeking Adam, an obedient son, from beginning to end. So in other words, God's covenant with Abraham is both conditional and unconditional. It's conditional in that God requires Abraham's obedience if he is to be blessed. It's unconditional in that God will provide a Savior for whom to believe, who will also be obedient, but he's also supplying his spirit, as Ezekiel says, to cause him to obey. So God will meet the conditions of the covenant he makes. You can think of it like that. This is, this is, the, this is the lifeblood of covenant theology. God makes a covenant. Christ fills the, fulfills the covenant. God gives a law. Christ obeys the law. The spirit causes us to fulfill and to obey the law. God promises blessings. Christ will receive those blessings in us and him. Here's the glory of the gospel right here. God makes covenants with His people, and even when they disobey, God fulfills their end of the bargain for them by giving them His Son and His Spirit. When we preach Jesus Christ to the world, when we evangelize, what we're telling people is this. God has made a wonderful, everlasting covenant with His people, and no one can keep it, but come and believe in the One who can. Come and believe in the promise keeper and the promise maker. I, I was. I thought about this the other day. Uh, I had two days without Kelly, so Daddy was with the kids. And Roman knows that he needs to clean up his room if we're going to have uh, Jesus storybook Bible time. Got to clean it up. His sissy's room is. To Roman's credit, we don't. They don't really play in sissy's room as much as Bubby's room. So Bubby's room is always just. Yeah, just awful. And he knows he better clean it up. So I'll make him a conditional covenant, if you will. If you clean it up, we're going to have Bible time. If you don't, lights out. He'll go, okay, good. And then he'll just sit there. <laughs> he won't do anything. He'll, he'll, he'll pick up like one toy and put it in the thing. Like, okay, Bible. No, 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 hold on. What's all this? So what, what I can't do is just do it for him. Can I? But because of my unconditional love for my son, I've got to find a way to teach him a lesson and get him to do it, but not let him off the hook. So what I'll do with Roman is I'll pick him up to each toy. And he's like... "Eh, eh, eh." He's going to keep it. I'm just making him keep it. It's a lot of work for me. Welcome to God's grace. This is, this, is, this is the same principle with the gospel. I mean, the, the kid for the life of him did not want to pick up a single toy. I wasn't going to let him out of that. So I'm going to make him pick up his toys. And that, it didn't look like it in the moment, but that's love there. I love him too much to let him be a lazy kid. But I also love him too much, I want to read the Bible with him. So I love him, love him too much too, so I'm going to make sure he fulfills the covenant I gave him. It's the same way with the gospel. Sometimes in the Bible, it can make salvation sound like a done deal. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those whom he's predestined, he also called, those he's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, he also glorified. But sometimes it makes the gospel sound conditional. Like when Jesus says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. So what is it? Here's my question this morning. Is Christianity conditional or is it unconditional? Well, here it is. Salvation is conditional upon faith. However, God also ensures that His people will have faith and that they will believe to the end. Here's a remarkable verse. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So who is it? Is it God or is it you? Welcome to covenant theology. God is doing the same thing now. Christians are those who keep the faith to the end. We're running the race. God's just like me behind Roman. Come on, do it. Even when Roman's like, ah, I don't want to. He wanted to by the end though. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. What's going on. I think, is there more? No, that's it. Okay. Um, this is God setting His people apart from the world. This is God delivering His people and then designating His people. I will be their God, He says. So there are two different ways we can look at circumcision here. We can look at it the way the Pharisees did, if it's kind of an elite fraternity, and in order to get in, I need to be circumcised, and my circumcision, physical circumcision, makes me right with God. Or we can look at circumcision like a badge on the shoulder of a soldier. The badge itself doesn't make him a soldier, but it does certainly let other people know which side he's on. And that's how we're to look. At the way God designates His people both in the Old Testament and in the New. When God asks us today, He gives us plenty of designations. God gives us, in some ways, a New Testament circumcision. Be baptized. Take the Lord's Supper. Gather together corporately in worship. Hear the Word. Give ourselves to God in prayer. Love God. Love one another. God is marking the church out today as much as He was marking out Abraham's offspring then. Here's what Mark Dever says is the church. This is, the best. this is one of the best definitions I have ever heard of what the church is. Listen up. More than once Jesus said that his people would demonstrate their love for him by obeying his commandments, And the obedience which interests him is not only individual but corporate. Together individuals and churches will go, disciple, baptize, teach to obey, love, remember, and commemorate his substitutionary death with the bread and the cup. To put it another way, Christian proclamation might make the gospel audible, but Christians living together in local congregations makes the gospel visible. The church is the gospel made visible. Makes you look at the church a whole another way, doesn't it? We are the gospel made visible. We are God's light to the world. We're not God. We're not Jesus. But we are Jesus in us. When the world sees us living differently, when he sees us living holy lives, when he sees us living self-sacrificially, when he sees us taking bread and juice, when he sees us going down the water, what we're saying to the world is, we've died and now we're someone else. Who we're following is not who you're following. Our leader is not your leader. Our second birth isn't like our first God is altogether different from the world. The church isn't a club where we come in and we, you know, we, we, we crank it like a slot machine and get some and go home. A church is also a sign to the world what God is doing with sinners. It gives new meaning to the church. Those things that we do week in, week out. We take the bread, we take the cup, we worship together. We hear the spoken word, the preached word. We study God's word together. We pray with one another. We sing together. All these things we do, they don't make us Christians, but they let people know that we are. The problem with the Bible Belt today is we start to do what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees started to think that just because they were physically circumcised, that 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 made them the people of God. But the Apostle Paul gives them a history lesson. Here's what he says in Galatians. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, by the time God gives gives Moses the law, it's been 430 years since Abraham first believed in God. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So the Apostle Paul reminds the Jews that it's not just their keeping of the law which makes them righteous, it's faith. And I think in the Bible Belt today, oftentimes, and not just the Bible Belt, but especially here, we can kind of do the same things that the Pharisees did. We start to think that just because we got baptized, or think that we said a certain prayer, or we showed up for something, that suddenly that made us the true people of God. But that's not how it works. It's about faith in the gospel. Here's another way, to, if I could explain. It. Going to church doesn't save a sinner. It is no guarantee someone believes in Jesus for their salvation. But going to church is typically evidence that someone has made a covenant with God in Christ to live obediently, just as Abraham made his covenant with God to live blamelessly. If someone doesn't attend church today, well, let me start back. If someone's first question is, "Do I got to go to church to be a Christian?" You already, we hold on. We are on, we are already on the wrong foot. <laughs> You don't, see, you don't see Abraham making that kind of proposition to God. Hey, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and live blamelessly. Er, hold on, God. Um, do I need to do the first two to be the number one? No. He said, I'll, yes, sir. And then God said, I'll be your God. Today, when we kind of have a minimalistic American Christian sense of, okay, tell me what I have to do to get the most. Like as if we're like gods on Shark Tank. Show me something, God. Okay? But that's not how it works. If someone doesn't attend church today, my first question isn't to indict them. If if they don't attend church and they claim Christ as Lord, my first question isn't to bash them for not attending church. It's to ask how they could turn away from the God who showed them such grace. It's to ask them how they could shun the people of God while claiming the love of God. People, here's another way of looking at it. People don't go to church to earn their salvation. People go to church because Jesus earned their salvation. The gospel isn't something we try to earn with obedience. The gospel is something God did which fuels our obedience. Which is why a life full of disobedience can oftentimes be a reason for us to doubt whether someone's even saved. It's good to remember this morning that God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to give you a family. He wants to give you a life. He wants to give you a circumcised heart. God wants to give you Himself. And it's good to remember that God doesn't just want to redeem you from things. God wants to make His covenant with you. And by putting your faith in Him, God will not only make sure that He keeps His end, but the grace of God ensures that even when you fall short, He will keep your end too. Come and put your faith in a faithful God. That's the gospel. This morning, if we think of God, if we think of the gospel in terms of, if I do this, God, will you do this? We're missing the fact that everything is by God's grace. And when we put our faith in God, it's not like coming to a business table. It's like having a beggar with open arms saying, I need it, and and you are everything. Just like going to Grandmother D and Granddad's house. We don't look around at all the things we can get. If God's not there, we don't want it. The grace of God says, God is everything. He is sufficient for all. And in Him, I have everything I need to live a life of righteousness and holiness. Because God is my heart. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that now... We don't need to be circumcised to be designated. God actually gives the people of God circumcised heart. When we, are, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are born again, and God distinguishes us from the world by letting us be people of light. We have to remember that because there's a lot of people walking around everywhere thinking that they're Christians because they do things. Being a Christian is not thinking that you can earn salvation. It's knowing that there is one who earned it for you. Amen, amen. And that's what we put our faith in this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to obey you. We want to run the race set before us. We want to finish well. We want to live holy lives. Father, we want to persevere to the end. We don't want to let up. We want to put the, the, the pedal to the metal. When we believe in you, Father, we want to grow in holiness. We want to... Grow more in our knowledge of you today than we had tomorrow. Father, we want to become saints, holy ones. We do that by growing in the knowledge of the depth and the breadth of your grace. Father, this morning, remind us today and remind us this week that you are covenant maker and covenant keeper. Even when we fall short, you have intervened by giving us your Son and your Holy Spirit to ensure that we keep our end of the bargain. Father, you are the beginning and the end of all things. And our salvation is to your glory and your glory alone. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.